All right, well, I can't tell you how excited I am to be back with us, uh, with this family together this morning, and uh, so love worshiping with you guys. It's so much fun. I never know uh, how things are going to go. I never know, um, you know, I was a little shocked this morning, we busted out a harmonica. Did you guys see that? We had a, a harmonica in worship. You never know. We've got a violin, we've got a harmonica, you just never know. <laughs> Uh, but uh, so much fun just to sing to Jesus, to worship him together and now to come to his word and to uh, hear from the Lord from his word. Um, God's doing some cool things at Mountain View, and it's just fun to be along for the ride, honestly. And I'm thankful that the Lord has, has us where he has us. We're going to be in Acts chapter 20 this morning. We've been uh, studying through the book of Acts together, and we're in chapter 20. We've got about eight more chapters to go. We should... Um, should finish in just a, a few weeks, but um, this has been an incredible study. As you're finding your place in Acts chapter 20, let me just say a couple of things um, reflecting on, on last week a little bit. And I'm just so thankful for um, so many of you that give of your time and your energy and your skill, your talent to serve each and every week from those who uh, you know hold the doors, welcoming people uh, here to those making fancy coffee drinks for us in the cafe, uh, to our worship team, which is phenomenal, to uh, especially to the real heroes, those who are serving and working with our children in kids' place and in the, in the nursery area, to the media team. I mean, we could go on and on and on. Um, there's just so many people doing so many little things that um, I just want to say thank you to our, to our team of folks who serve each and every week. It's amazing to see how many of you are are putting your time and your skills to service for Jesus. If you're still looking for some ways to get involved, let me just mention two things uh, that I saw last week and and I've seen for a couple weeks that's a big need. Um, One, we need some uh, some folks serving with our kids. Last week, we had about 70 children here. Do you guys know that? About 70 kids here, almost 70. Uh, and that's a lot for a handful of volunteers. So um, granted, I don't think that's the norm. But here's one thing I know. Like uh, we have folks who serve. We have leaders who serve in there week after week after week. And one thing I don't want is for them to get burned out. Uh, they're pouring out into our kids. And I need them to come in here and be filled up from time to time. You guys agree? Yes. So those leading our kids, we need, to, we need to have a team of volunteers that are in there that are trained up that our leaders can kind of get the ball rolling and they can come in here and just be worshipers and not, not have to be working every week. So the only way that works is if we have enough volunteers to make that happen. So if you'd like to, uh, to help out with our kids, that's one spot we really have a big need with kids and in our nursery. And then a second big need is uh, the coronavirus put us in a, in a situation where we had to uh, do some upgrades with our media stuff, buy a new camera and just to get a better presence online. And that's been great. But um, uh, T- Tucker is having to like run up and down to run the camera. And so I, ne- I need another two people maybe who ha- are technologically inclined to learn to work our camera and media and stuff like that. So that'd be a huge blessing to us. Those are just two ways you can serve. There's a lot more. But if you're looking for a spot to connect and get involved, that's a, that's a good place. Church, thank you for your faithfulness in serving All right, let's look at the book of Acts. This book is telling the story of the spread of the gospel from the cross and the empty tomb. And as we're going to see in the next few chapters, all the way to the epicenter of the known world at that time, Rome. Um, 
And we've just seen Paul on a, on a journey through Ephesus. He's been teaching in Ephesus, preaching there. And we're going to pick up on some of that ministry today. But what we see is that people are hearing and believing the gospel of Jesus. They're, they're joining with other people, churches. They're gathering as churches. And then they're joining together the mission of spreading that gospel to their world. In city after city, churches or or gatherings, followers, are planted. These churches, they're giving all their energy, all their effort to making disciples and to planting more churches. The, the whole idea is to spread the good news of Jesus to everyone on the planet. So here's the thing. At Mountain View Church, while we believe there are lots of wonderful ministries to plug into and be a part of, we really want to be laser focused on those two things. Making disciples and planting churches. For 10 years or almost 11 years of our existence, planting churches has always been our dream, but it's not really been something we've been able to tangibly do as of yet. There's some exciting things in the works right now with our partners in Lebanon. They're, uh, they're working actually to plant a church in Egypt, and we're working to get more involved in that. How cool would that be to plant a church, to be a part of church planting in a city called Luxor, Egypt? Very Muslim concentrated city closed to the gospel until recently. But now there's a small cluster of believers forming uh, and there's a, a pastor that's that's there and planted and he's working to gather the people. This is the kind of work that Mountain View wants to be involved in here. We want to be making disciples of Jesus. We want to be doing that everywhere. But then we also want to be planting churches, starting more movements for the gospel. That's going to be our primary focus. Now, the work of every church is what Jesus gave us to do. It's the Great Commission, Matthew 28. He said, go, therefore, make disciples, right? So our work, that's the work of every church is to make disciples. How do we do that? Well, he gives us the details in that text. He says we, we do that by going, by baptizing, and by teaching. So when Jesus said going, here's what he means. He means that we're to live missionally. The Bible actually says, as you go, make disciples. So we don't want to just take short-term trips to obedience. We want to live our everyday lives obedient to this command of making disciples. So your, your tent-making trade, Paul was a tent maker, whatever your job is, it's not just your career, it's your cluster of people that God's put you with to make disciples. Whatever you do for fun, maybe you take your kids to the ballpark, that's a spot in the stands where you're to have gospel conversations and to talk about Jesus. It may be awkward. I get it. That's OK. <laughs> um, my family, we take our kids to the park they're not quite athletes just yet. So we take them to a local park. We found that that's a spot where a lot of people from a lot of different places come to the park. We've had conversations with people who are obviously from Muslim custom. And we've just talked to them about their faith and they've listened as we talked about our faith. And then they look at us and they go, are all these children yours? And we're like, yeah, yeah, those, they're all ours. Yeah, it's, it's always a conversation starter. So, um, but I just want to encourage you that um, your everyday life is meant to be lived disciple making. It's not just something that happens at a, at a building and in a place and at a certain time. So Jesus says, as you go, make disciples. Well, a big part of that is then baptizing them into the body. Last Sunday, 
We had uh, just an incredible celebration getting to baptize Jordan into the, into the faith. And uh, I'm super excited about his new journey with Jesus. But that baptism is a marker. Like it's, it's, a, it's a point in, in the journey where the gospel has penetrated the heart. A person is repented, has repented, and now believes in Jesus. And they're going to go public with their faith in baptism. In our culture, baptism is not near as big a deal. But when I was in East Asia, this young man named Hobby came to faith in Jesus. And um, we were studying the Bible together and he trusted in Christ. And I said, okay, man, Jesus says you, you need to be baptized. He's like, what is that? And I started explaining it to him. And he said, is that something that we can do like in a bathtub somewhere? I said, well, I mean, I guess we could if we have to. But um, what about in that creek down there? And he was like, well, that people will see. I was like, yes, people will see. And all of a sudden, some fears began to well up in him, and rightfully so, because he knew the public profession of faith in Jesus would cost him everything. And here in America, it doesn't really grip us like that, because it doesn't cost you that much, honestly. It's actually something that your culture, many, a lot of our culture celebrates. You know, we post a picture or video of baptism on social media, and people are like, congratulations, praise the Lord. Other places in the country, you get a bullseye on your head for that public profession of faith. Other places in the world, that is. Baptism is the moment that publicly marks the conversion of a new disciple. It's, it's identity factor. It identifies a new believer with his God and with God's people. Well, Jesus said by going, make disciples, going, baptizing, and teaching. So we want to... We want people to see Jesus. As we teach, we want to lift up Jesus for who he truly is. We want people to observe his way of life. Teaching isn't just compartmentalized to a classroom or a a podium, a pulpit of sorts. In fact, some of the best teaching happens in just everyday moments of life. If you're a a parent, you know that. You you don't sit your kids down in a classroom to, to teach them as a parent. You just do that as life goes. Well, the good news of Jesus is so transforming that when you meet him in an everyday life situation, like the woman at the well, for example. Those who in those moments truly receive the mercy of Christ become missionaries for Christ. Isn't that right? Well, this is how Jesus became the most influential person to ever live. Do you know that over 2.5 billion people today claim to be Christians? 2.5 billion people. Today, claim to be followers of Jesus. Now, all of that that I just mentioned leads us to Acts chapter 20. Because it's, it's setting us up for what's happening here. In Acts 20, what we see is that Paul has recently spent three years in a city called Ephesus. In that city, many disciples, many new believers are beginning to gather and a church is forming. The gospel has been so powerful In the city of Ephesus, that even the business sector is adversely affected. Think about it. This is what's happening. So many people are trusting Christ that they're not going down to the market to buy the little trinket idols that uh, the silversmith and the blacksmith and all these people have been making and carving. They've been making these little artisan statues. No one's buying. All of a sudden, the profit margins tank. So these guys stir up a riot. 
Ultimately, Paul has to leave the city. So after three years of planting and pastoring a new church, Paul has to leave. Well, later, as he's traveling back through that area on his way to Jerusalem, he's about 30 miles from Ephesus. And he calls the elders from that church to come and meet with him. And he wants to he wants to give a challenge to the church, to the elders, to the leaders of the church in Ephesus. And so that's where we pick up the text. So in honor of God's word, would you stand with me as we read? Acts chapter 20. I'm going to pick up in verse 17. Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment And afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Listen to this verse. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Let's pray. Father. This is your word. We ask now that Holy Spirit would teach us truth, that that we would be guided into all truth by your spirit. Would you teach us how to walk faithfully with you? Would you teach us how to be the church you've called us to be? In Jesus name. Amen. So in this passage, we see Paul's love for the mission of the gospel in his love for the local church. If we truly care about the mission of Jesus, we will care deeply about his church. I'm going to say that again. um, And if you're taking notes on the little handout, this is where that begins. Okay, listen to this. If we truly care about the mission of Jesus, we will deeply care. We will care deeply about his church. You see that in Paul. He's, a, he's been a missionary. He's been traveling. This is his third missionary journey. He's traveled the bulk of his life sharing the gospel. But when it comes to Ephesus, maybe for the first time, we don't just see him as an evangelist. We see him as a pastor. And this is a man who's fallen in love with these people. He has loved his season of discipling them. They've grown and he's invested his whole life into them. So much so that even though he's run out of the city, 
Later on, when he comes back through that way, he's like, I, I need to see those guys. I need to see, I'm going to call them down to come visit with me. And he, he gives this strong exhortation to the leaders, the elders of the church, because the, the health of the church matters for the mission of Jesus. Are we connecting those dots, church? Are, are we seeing that? That the health of this church in Ephesus is going to make a big difference in the spread of the gospel of Jesus. So Paul invests in the church's leaders. A church will not be stronger than its leaders. So Paul calls these elders to meet with him. And he gave them a solemn charge. He says, care for the church of God. Listen to this phrase. Which he obtained with his own blood. That's heavy, isn't it? That is a heavy calling on an elder, a pastor, a leader of the church that, hey, Jesus bought this people with his blood. Now you care for them. This is a key verse in this section. And, and Paul's giving two imperatives to these leaders. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and pay careful attention to the flock which you oversee. The way he's going to exhort them and challenge them through the text we're looking at today is through the lens of his example. Paul set the example and he's calling these leaders to follow his pattern. But we know that Paul was following another pattern. He was following the pattern of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. It's a very short verse, but here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 1. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And this is what he's doing in this text with those elders. Is he's saying to them, you, you saw how I shepherded, how I pastored, how I led while I was among you. You watched. You know how I've led you. Follow my example because I'm following the example of Christ. And so what I want to do today is just pinpoint five truths for leaders. If, if the church is to thrive from this text, what we see is at least five things that leaders must be and do. If the church, if Mountain View Church is going to thrive, our elders, our leaders must live among the people first. Live among the people. Paul begins this section by saying, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. Paul was with his people, right? He, uh, he lived among them. He was accessible. He wasn't secretive or isolated. He's one of them. Paul wasn't a celebrity preacher who gave his message and then was unavailable. He retreated off to his little secluded space and no one could approach him. He's unapproachable to the commoner. No, that wasn't, that wasn't the way Paul led. And what he's telling these men is he's saying to them, I lived among you the whole time. Pay attention to how I lived among you. He worked with them. You know, he's a tent maker. He worked with them. He hung out with them. He taught them. Probably slept on their couches. I mean, this, Paul, this is the kind of pastor Paul was. And he says, pay attention to, and live among the people. A good shepherd has to be with his sheep. Somebody said, uh, a shepherd always smells like his sheep. That's only true if you're, if you're close, right? If life on life is happening. 
Being with people is the best way to know their need and how to help apply God's word to their circumstances. How can a pastor shepherd sheep that he doesn't know, that he's not with, that he's not among? This is why here we often say real discipleship happens in real relationship. And we genuinely do want to know each other. We do want to be friends with each other. As, as a pastor in this church, I, I want you to know that I'm approachable, that I'm a real person, that, I, that you, I, I'm the kind of guy you'd want to hang out with. That's what I want to be. I don't want to be that distant teacher person. And our leaders, this is who we need to be, is be people, leaders among the people. So as, as I mean, as hard as um, I work to prepare a sermon and as helpful as Christ-centered messages may be, you'll never be discipled by sermons alone. Just like you would never only eat one meal a week. You need to be fed by daily. You need life on life kind of discipleship. Paul is modeling for us how Jesus lived. Think about this. Jesus didn't just stay on his throne in heaven and send messages down to earth. No, Jesus came to live among us. We call that the incarnation. He came to be one of us. God, the son, was now accessible. I think about the moment that the children were running to Jesus and the disciples were trying to shoo the kids away. And he said, no, let the little children come to me. Jesus is accessible. He's with his people. He's among the people. And Paul learned from Christ what that was like, what a shepherd looks like. Jesus was among us. He was God with us. And so Paul's saying as a pastor, as a leader, as, as an elder in the church, you must be among the people. Secondly, you must serve with humility. Look at what Paul says. He says, serving the Lord with all humility. So the thing about the gospel of Jesus is it has a humbling impact. Um, there's not a one of us who can boast in ourselves. Paul says, I boast in the cross. Right? We, there's nothing about me or about Paul that is worthy of boasting. Paul had an experience with the grace of Jesus. And so he later writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. That's the kind of pastor Paul was. He's constantly telling the people about the grace of God and he's serving the Lord with all humility. Paul knew himself and he knew his God. He wasn't working for Jesus to make a name for himself. You know, there's a lot of people out there today that see Jesus as a good ladder to climb. That he's their path to success or to uh, recognition. They, they want to ride the coattails of Jesus to their own fame. To, to sell a book or to uh, promote a podcast or something along those lines. And Jesus will have none of that. Paul says, keep a watch on yourselves. Don't do a good deed just to post a selfie about it. Well, Jesus said to beware of practicing your righteousness so others can see you. Matthew 6. Here's the thing, church. It's either about you or it's about him. But it's not both. You cannot truly serve Christ with a strut. Paul says he's serving the Lord with humility. 
I think about what C.S. Lewis says in, in his book, Mere Christianity. He writes a whole blistering chapter on pride. And he says that a proud man cannot know God. Specifically, here's a quote. He says, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see God above. As long as you're looking down on people, you cannot see God above. So Paul follows the humble footsteps again of Jesus. He's saying, follow me as I follow Christ. Jesus always went low to lift the lowly. Jesus humbled himself, the Bible says. He he washed the the feet of those that he led while they're arguing about who's the greatest. The great irony, right? The guys are arguing, I'm the greatest. He he takes me and we hang out together. Meanwhile, Jesus is just washing feet. He always went low. Jesus welcomed the rejects, the outcasts of society. They were welcomed and wanted at his feet. Jesus healed and he worked miracles. Then he asked those that he healed to not tell anyone. This is it's a, a miraculous kind of humility. He humbled himself, the Bible says, to be obedient to death, even the shameful death of the cross. So even the work of salvation was a work of humility. So our serving work, leaders, Christian, your serving work, must also be a work of humility. Thirdly, I want you to think about this. Paul writes in in this text about tears and trials. So um, if a church is going to thrive, leaders must shed tears and endure trials. And you say, well, what do you mean? I mean, I'm not a crier, right? I don't cry. I just don't cry about things. Well, Paul says that uh, people should, these people should remember that he served Jesus among them with tears. Now, what does he mean? By that, Well, tears indicate authentic love and authentic pain, hurt, like real hurt and real love are why you would cry. And a great leader genuinely cares. He genuinely loves the people he's with. He genuinely hurts when they hurt. A great elder pastor shepherd is one who's compassionate for the people to hurt when they hurt. Surely Paul loved his people enough to suffer great pain on their behalf. I'm reminded of how Paul commended Timothy. Um, In Philippians chapter 2, this might be worth flipping to for just a moment. Philippians chapter 2. Paul says in, in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Listen to what he says here. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Paul's sending Timothy to the Philippians and he's like, I know him He will love you well. He will genuinely care for you. And the only reason is because Timothy had served along Paul long enough to know how to genuinely love people, how to shed tears, how to endure trials on behalf of the people. Of course, Paul would have learned this from Jesus, too. You remember the the shortest verse in the Bible? Anybody have this one memorized? Shortest verse in the Bible? Anybody know? Pop quiz. Jesus wept. That's it. When did that happen? 
at the tomb of uh, Lazarus, right? Lazarus had died, was buried. Jesus comes and Martha and Mary both sort of accost him. You know, they're like, uh, if you'd only been here, our brother would not have died. And Jesus gets to the tomb. There's many people weeping, lots of sadness, lots of grief. And what does Jesus do? This short little verse, Jesus wept. I'm just telling you, if I'm Jesus, I'm not. But if I'm Jesus in that moment, I walk into that moment and I say, guys, chill out. Like, I'm going to bring you back to life. It's okay. You know, calm down. No big deal. He's coming back. Calm down. Right? You know, that's what I would be saying. Surely Jesus knew what he was about to do. It's not he didn't know. He knew the situation was about to change. But what does he do? He, he feels with his people. He's willing to get in it with them and feel the way they feel. And he weeps with those who weep. Jesus showed genuine love for people. Paul, saw, Paul also endured lots of trials and hardships. Well, why would he do that? Well, you endure trials when you are unwavering with the truth. People reject the truth and often will hate the truth teller. Paul, the Bible says here, did not shrink back from declaring the truth in verse 20. Even when there's great and painful opposition, he speaks the truth. He didn't even count his own life as more valuable than the truth of the gospel. Verse 24. So, of course, difficulty comes. And we could read of Paul's story. He's been whipped. He's been beaten. He's been stoned. He's been, uh, you could read all the many things he endured. But he endured these trials because he was unwavering with the truth. This is the kind of courage and boldness that a leader in the church must have. They must be willing to shed tears with the people, to love them well, but to lead them with the truth. An unwavering resolve with the truth. Jesus also is courageous with the truth. He's unwavering. And when it came time for him to either die or deny the message, he went all the way. So Paul is setting an example for these elders, these leaders in Ephesus. And fourthly, if the church is to thrive, leaders must preach and teach Christ. At least four different ways uh, Paul says it in this text. He says he's been he's declaring, he's teaching, he's testifying, he's proclaiming. He gives all these different ways that he's teaching, basically preaching and teaching. Surely he stood in front of them and read from the scriptures and expounded the word of God. But also I imagine he uh, got in the yard and worked with them and just talked about Jesus teaching in a very practical kind of way. This was what Paul means. He's proclaiming and teaching the whole counsel of God. Obviously, this is a key responsibility for an elder or pastor in a church, teaching people to observe all that Jesus commanded, again, is how disciples are made. It's what Jesus told them. Make disciples by teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. I want you to notice just three details quickly about Paul's preaching here. First, he says um, that he calls people to repent. To repent and turn to God and to have faith in Jesus. To, so repentance and faith in verse 21. What does this mean? Well, it means to turn from your sin And to trust in Jesus Christ. If we truly believe in Jesus, there will be a change of heart, of mind, of will. 
True faith in Jesus will radically transform who you are as a person. So Paul's preaching repentance and faith. And that's been the that's been the message even back since John the Baptist and Jesus teamed up together. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Peter at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and Peter preaches a great message. And that's the crux of the message. Repent and trust in Christ. So this is a continuation, obviously, of that gospel preaching. Secondly, he's preaching the gospel of grace. Verse 24. What is grace? Church, grace is what makes the gospel so good, right? It's good news because of grace. The good news about Jesus is that you can't earn your way to him. No, he's already come all the way to you. And that's the grace of the gospel. Grace is that he can take who you are and make you someone new. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus. And the third detail about Paul's preaching in verse 27, it says he's teaching the whole counsel of God. One of the things that we are devoted to is this book. All of it. Every word of it. And I I know um, for many people, just to study through a book of the Bible like we've been doing through the book of Acts is maybe a, a diet that you're not accustomed to. But I want you to know that that's a beautiful way to teach Scripture because I don't get to choose my pet project of what I want to talk about. I just talk about what's in the text. We just come to the Scripture. We read the Bible. We pull the truth out of the Scripture. We don't come with our preconceived ideas. We just look for the truth. We harvest the truth or uh, excavate the truth out of the text and preach the truth. That's exegetical preaching. It's the whole counsel of God. And we'll preach through the book of Acts. We'll preach through Hezekiah. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll preach through Haggai. We'll preach through, we'll preach through all the Old Testament as well. And this is how we know our God. All scripture, the Bible says, is God breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking and training in righteousness. We much must teach the Bible, meaning we dig out the truth from there. We don't come to it with what we think. Jesus told the Pharisees in John five that. They're searching the scripture because they think that in them they have life. But Jesus reminded them that all scripture is actually pointing to him. So when we come to the Holy Scripture, we are always going to look for Christ in the text. Because Jesus taught this is the way you read the Bible. You read the Bible not just to to find good truth. It's not basic instructions. It's actually the revelation of Jesus. So when we read scripture, we're looking for Christ. All scripture is pointing to him. He is life. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's the heart of the good news and should be the cornerstone of gospel preaching. Amen. You guys with me? Okay, good. I'm just double checking. Last one. Here we go. Last truth. Y'all ready? This is where it gets real. This is not just for leaders, by the way. Leaders in the church, absolutely yes. But all believers, these principles and truths apply. But here, here's, here's one you don't hear much about. If the church is to thrive, leaders must determine to follow the Spirit's lead. Verse 22, Paul says, I'm constrained by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Now, at this point in his third missionary journey, 
You could say this has become Paul's way of life. This is his pattern. It's what we've seen. You know, Paul wanted to go into this city, but the spirit of Jesus stopped him. Paul wanted to go in that city, but the spirit stopped him. Paul starts going this way and the Holy Spirit's like, yes, go that way. Paul's preaching in Corinth and he's done with it, man. He's been facing so much difficulty. He's like, I'm out of here. And the Holy Spirit comes to him in a vision and says, no, you're going to stay longer because I still have people here. You continue to preach and I'll continue to save. The Holy Spirit has constantly been controlling Paul's life. And in this moment, this is what he says. He says, I'm constrained or bound by the Holy Spirit. He's determined to follow the Spirit's lead, no matter who tries to persuade him otherwise. Many people have come to him and said, if you go to Jerusalem, they're going to kill you. And Paul's like, I have to go. The Holy Spirit says, I have to go. Well, Jesus himself yielded control of his words, his works, and ultimately his will. Remember, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus said that he only did what the Father told him to do. Jesus said he only spoke what the Father gave him to say. Jesus lived constrained by the Spirit. Church, I don't know if you know this, but this is actually what it means to follow. (laughs) It's pretty basic, right? It means that you're not leading. If you're following, you're not leading. You're being led. And the irony of this text is that Paul is teaching to leaders to be led. How many people today don't realize that to be a Christian means you actually are a follower of Jesus. So you're following where he's leading. You're not just going where you want to go and claiming a title. You're following a king, the king, Jesus. Worse yet, many leaders in the church today have lost sight of the fact that our primary calling isn't to lead people, but to follow the Savior. The beautiful truth is that as we follow Jesus, we will lead well. Pastor or elder, you will never be the great leader God created you to be until you become the determined follower that he's calling you to be. Yield to the Spirit's control. Christian, yield to the Holy Spirit today. In God's economy... The greatest leaders are always the best followers. Why does leadership in the church matter so much? So think about it for a moment. Paul's quickly trying to make his way to Jerusalem. As he passes near Ephesus, he stops and he says, no, this is a this is a time I've got to make time. I want those brothers to come and visit with me. So he pauses his trip to Jerusalem. He calls the elders to make a 30 mile trek to come and see him in Miletus. And then Luke, who's writing this book, devotes a large chunk of scripture to this conversation. So it has to matter. Why does it matter? Well, it matters because the church matters. And because the church matters, the leaders in the church matter. And so here's what we would say. Why is all this here? It's here because Paul loved this church. He spent three years in Ephesus. He loves them. He shed tears with them. At the end of this chapter, we'll see that they just weep and cry together because Paul said, you're not going to see my face again. They loved each other. Paul loves the church. 
as a, as a family, as a church, we've got to get to the place where we genuinely love each other. That we're not just people who are gathering in a building at a set time, but that we actually love each other. Secondly, why does it matter? Well, because Jesus loves the church. This scripture says, care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. How much does Jesus love the church? Well, he shed his blood to purchase our salvation. He loves the church enough to give his own life for us. And why does the church matter? Well, because the gospel mission advances through a healthy church. The advancing mission of the gospel depends on the health of the local church. NBC family today, we want to finish a little differently, but I want you to think about how the gospel is advancing through our church. And it's moving in many ways that probably you're not even aware. I shared with you one earlier about how our, our partners in Lebanon are working to plant a new church in Egypt. Do you know that you're a part of that? We, as a church, are planting, are working to plant a church in Egypt. Isn't that wild? But there are other things like that happening. But we must be at a place where our leadership is healthy. Where our leaders are following the example Paul set. And Paul, obviously, following the example of the Lord Jesus. We look to Christ for Leadership, But what I want to ask you, church, today, as our musicians begin to come, I want to ask us to devote the next few minutes to prayer for our, our leaders. I'm not the only elder pastor at this church, and so I would like for us just to spend some time praying. These five things that I just gave you on this handout. That our leaders would be committed to these things. I'm going to walk through them. That we would live among the people. Like all I mean there is that we have real relationships with our folks, right? We're, we're, we're together. We're a family. That we as leaders would live among the people. That we would serve the Lord with humility. That we would shed tears. That means we love you. And would endure trial. That we're going to fight for the truth of the gospel. That we'd preach and teach Christ. And that we would determine to follow the Spirit's lead. Would you pray specifically for uh, our pastors and leaders here? God's doing some incredible things. And I don't want um, I don't want to miss what He has for us. Because maybe our leadership is not where we need to be. So would you pray for us? And then would you pray for yourself? These things are true for you as well. Let's take some time now to just pray for the Lord's leading that we would follow Him as He leads us.